Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. If we start to address the major structural cause in our housing crisis, which is that people want to treat housing and the taxing system encourages them to do this as a lucrative asset to make money off rather than a home for someone to live in, uh, then we're never going to fix the housing crisis. Uh, and certainly if you combine it with limits on rent increases and a big investment in public housing, you go a long way to fixing the scale of the crisis. Hello, I'm Paul Karp, Chief Political Correspondent at Guardian Australia. Coming to you from Ngunnawal Country, this is another episode of Guardian's Australian Politics podcast. This week, the Greens announced they will use negotiations over Labor's Help to Buy scheme to push for changes to negative gearing and capital gains tax. And that's why I'm joined by the Greens housing spokesperson, Max Chandler-Mather. Welcome, Max. Thanks for having me. We'll get on to the negative gearing and capital gains tax concessions in a minute, but I, can I start by asking what your view of the help to buy scheme is? Is it a good idea for the government to own a third of your house so your mortgage and repayments are smaller? Well, the reality is uh, the government's so-called help to buy scheme will actually make the housing crisis worse for 99.8% of renters. That's because every year only 0.2% of renters would be able to access the government scheme. And for every other renter trying to buy a home, this will push up the price of housing even marginally. The practical reason is, imagine you're at an auction and one person has access to the scheme, one of the 0.2% of people who might win the lottery and get access to it. Well, they will have more money in their pocket to bid up the price of housing. For every other renter, that will mean higher house prices and they'll end up losing more auctions. Uh, and we, what we know is schemes like this, and economists uh, across Australia have pointed out all schemes like this do, is push up the price of housing, which is exactly why we have pushed so hard on tackling the tax handouts for property investors, including negative gearing and the capital gains tax discount. Because the reality is you're just not going to fix the housing affordability crisis while the government is dishing out something like $39 billion a year in tax handouts for property investors that allow them to bid up the price of housing and lock out so many first home buyers. Doesn't this scheme help uh, even it up, though? It might not be another renter that they're, that they're beating to the house. It might be a renter armed with the help to buy scheme beating uh, a potential landlord, an investor, to, to, to buy the house. Well, right now, this is the government's only offering on one of the worst housing crises we've seen in generations this year. 
And it is worse than tinkering around the edges. They don't have a majority in the Senate. And so, of course, we're going to try and use our parliamentary numbers to try and get the government to realise that they need to take this housing crisis seriously. I mean, we just heard the New South Wales Productivity Commission say that Sydney could become a city without grandchildren because of the scale of the crisis, because so many people are no longer able to afford to buy a home. Now, here the government comes along and says, well, we've got a scheme where only 0.2% of renters will be able to ever access it every year while everyone else is thrown to the free market wolves. Uh, Of course, we're going to push back on that. And, you know, it might be the case that uh, one or two people might be able, you know, a couple of people might be able to access this scheme, but why would we just, we're not going to wave through something in the middle of a really bad housing crisis, like shockingly awful, uh, that may well actually make it harder for the vast majority of renters, uh, in particular when they still refuse to touch these massive tax handouts, you know, stop unlimited rent increases, put a cap on them, or start to invest uh, in public housing and the scale that we actually need. So when you were in negotiations on the Housing Australia Future Fund, uh, the demand was for the federal government to incentivise states uh, by paying them if they instituted a rent freeze. Mm. Is that no longer the ask in these help-to-buy negotiations? Uh, Well, no. We've put it to the government that there are three areas we'd like to negotiate on. Obviously, there's been a lot of focus on tackling the tax handouts for property investors, you know, because uh, they really, when it comes to home ownership, they are one of the principal barriers to uh, renters being able to buy a home and they often mean they lose to investors. The other two things we put to the government is we still want them to coordinate national, a two-year national freeze and then cap on rent increases and we'd like them to invest any savings we make from phasing out these tax handouts uh, into public housing. Taken as a whole, that package would actually start to tackle the scale of the housing crisis. But of course, we've said to the government that we're willing to negotiate on all of these measures. And I would note last year, the government made a big song and dance about refusing to budge. And then all of a sudden, we were able to win $3 billion for public housing. Uh, And I think this year, we're going to see the government kick up a bit of a stink. But I I do hope that over the course of this year, they realise that as the federal government, their only offering on the housing crisis can't just be a scheme where only 0.2% of renters are helped. So let's get on to those uh, tax concessions that are part of your demands. W- what is the uh, ask on negative gearing? Is it to phase it out entirely or to cap the number of properties that investors can negatively gear? Well, we've put it to the government that they need to be phased out. We're willing to negotiate on the terms of that phase out. Uh, the Fed- Federal Greens took a policy to the 2022 election where from here on in, no one would be able to negatively gear any property. But for those who have one investment property, we would grandfather it and allow them to hold on to that and then phase out uh, all other uh, negatively geared properties over five years. On the capital gains tax discount, we've said we'd completely get rid of the 50% discount uh, and bring it back to uh, it's in inflation, essentially. Uh, and just on the capital gains t- discount, uh, I don't think it's often realised just how egregiously unfair they are. What it means is when a property investor... Uh, sells a property and, say, makes a $500,000 profit, 50% of that profit the government gives to them tax-free. Tax-free. They are so unequal uh, that actually on the uh, Treasury's own latest numbers, the capital gains tax discount is more unfair and unequal than the coalition's original stage three 
tax cuts. Of the $19 billion in the capital gains tax discount will cost the federal government this year, $15 billion of that will go to the top 10% of income earners. That is not sustainable in, in such a shocking housing crisis where, you know, you have people trying to save up for a home, go to an auction, think they've saved up for enough to deposit and find out they're about $400,000 short because an investor is standing there with the ability to pay more for a house, but precisely because they have access to these tax handouts. Uh, And that is not a sustainable situation uh, where this year we expect house prices and rents to go up potentially even faster than they did last year. Negative gearing allows investors to deduct uh, rental losses from their wage income. If landlords can't get a deduction for that, won't they just hike rents? No, not at all. Landlords are already charging as much as they possibly can get away with in the rental market. Uh, The idea that they're holding back charging more on their rent out of generosity or some sort of financial calculation is just, this is just not how the rental market works. But what we do know getting uh, phasing out negative gearing and capital gains tax discounts would do uh, is take pressure off the rental market. There's a perfect storm at the moment. And one of the elements of that perfect storm is more and more people are having to rent long-term because they can't afford to buy a house. So we've seen a steady increase in the proportion of Australians who are renting, uh, you know, getting, I think, just ticked over 30%. What that means is more and more people are competing for rental properties try and and often having to rent for the rest of their lives because they can't go and buy their first home. Uh, And, you know, there's also other big issues here. The government's no longer investing in public housing in the way it used to, uh, and there are no limits on rent increases, which I would point out, by the way, is there's so many countries, I've talked about this before, but there are a lot of countries around the world uh, that uh, do put limits on rent increases. And it's sort of ridiculous that we have a housing system where the one third of this country who rents not only have to compete against property investors who get billions of dollars in tax handouts, but don't actually know how much they'll be paying in rent at the end of every year and their housing costs, because it's entirely up to the decision of a landlord who also pockets uh, enormous amounts in tax handouts. Like this is so egregiously unfair. Uh, And I do sort of think it's remarkable that the terms of this debate that Labor want to set are it's either the status quo or their very small help to buy scheme that doesn't even touch the sides and makes it worse for 99.8% of renters. Now, when your leader, Adam Bant, uh, went to the press club to talk about your tax policies last year, uh, he also released PBO advice for the Greens about um, the negative gearing and capital gains tax policies. And that advice said that landlords would, quote, be unlikely to invest without either a significant fall in prices or a significant increase in rents. I also note that when negative gearing was abolished in 1985 uh, in Sydney and Perth, Uh, where the vacancy rates were the lowest, rents did go up. So we've got a very tight rental market at the moment. What makes you so confident that the response won't be to hike rents? Well, A, I think on those, that Sydney example, for instance, I think a lot of people point out that didn't have anything to do uh, with any changes to negative gearing. Uh, Secondly, uh, (laughs) I'd point out that close to 90% or just under 90%, between 80 and 90% of all property investment uh, goes on existing dwellings. The, it's a myth that they're out there, that these tax incentives or tax handouts are somehow incentivizing the building of new housing. They're not. Uh, and crucially, 
where a, a property uh, investor sells a property, they don't throw it into a black hole and it disappears forever. It's either sold to another property investor who rents it out or it's sold to a first home buyer. And a first home buyer is by definition a renter. So there's one less renter in the rental market. It rely These lines rely on a little bit of common sense. You're like, oh, well, uh, we lose a property investor. Well, that's a rental property and that's bad for renters. But that's not how the housing market works. And I can't emphasize enough that if we start to address the major structural cause in our housing crisis, which is that people want to treat housing and the taxing system encourages them to do this as a lucrative asset to make money off rather than a home for someone to live in, uh, then we're never going to fix the housing crisis. Uh, And certainly if you combine it with limits on rent increases and a big investment in public housing, as I said before, you go a long way. Uh, to fixing the scale of the crisis. I'm not suggesting that the rental property is lost to the market. I'm suggesting that the next landlord might charge even more if it's not um, a mum and dad investor who is who is deducting it from their from their wage income. Well, <laughs> firstly, um, just on that again, uh, rents are set by the rental market and uh, generally landlords are charging as much rent as they can get away with. Some, sure, might uh, be charging a little bit less uh, but in aggregate terms, uh, that's just not really how the rental market works. Just on the mum and dad investment thing, uh, you know, that's brought up a lot. But I think as a result, then we often forget about the mum and dad renters or the, you know, mum and dad people trying to go to an auction and buy their first home to have some security that they're denied. And uh, this isn't about saying that no one should be able to buy an investment property. All we're saying is right now we have a tax system where collectively over the next 10 years, property investors will get half a trillion dollars in government tax handouts uh, and renters and people trying to buy their first home are largely thrown to the wolves. And uh, tweaking that system so it's a little bit fairer for the vast majority of people. So, you know, maybe there's parents listening to this podcast who are like, how will my kid ever afford to buy a home? Uh, This system's so unequal, I'm terrified for their future. Uh, Well, all we're saying is let's tilt it a little bit uh, so they don't have to look down the barrel of renting for the rest of their lives in an entirely unregulated rental market. The same uh, PBO uh, advice said uh, that, quote, the extent to which house prices fall would be influenced by how many renters would be able to switch to owning property. Uh, Now, the PBO didn't model changes to house prices, but it did assume a sizable behavioural response, which I think is code for landlords selling up. Mm. Um, Is that a bug or a feature of your policy? Do you want cheaper house prices so that more renters can become owner-occupiers? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think let's be clear about this. All of the modelling, there's been modelling thrown around. I think it was the Grattan Institute that pointed out changes might see a 2.5% drop in house prices. Now, that's not much, right? Like in the context of big house prices, but it is a lot when you consider the fact, well, that means that house prices don't go up by another 10 or 20% next year. Now, uh, I think maybe there's some people listening to this who've had this experience, but the problem with our housing market is we have a tax system that basically continues to force house prices up, often far in excess of wages. I think your um, columnist Greg Jericho wrote an article today or yesterday pointed out that on average since about 2000, house prices have gone up more than double wages every year. Like that's crazy. Uh, So slowing that down at the very least is a good thing because when you're saving up for a deposit and house prices are increasing faster than you can even save up for a deposit, 
that I have to say is one of the most demoralizing things you can possibly experience. Uh, and so changing our tax system so we just don't have massive increases in house prices every year uh, and sure, not big decreases either, which I think is probably good for people who don't want to fall into negative equity, but just moderating the system, calming it down, I think is a good thing. The Greens have said that uh, pressure works uh, and, you know, Labor back down on stage three income tax cuts so they can change their position on this as well. Uh, But from another perspective, Anthony Albanese can get away with one large broken promise or change of position on tax, but maybe not two. If he does it again, it plays right into the coalition frame that, you know, you can't trust him. So what you're asking for in negotiations is well motivated, but do you think it's politically possible? Absolutely. I would say it's politically necessary. Firstly, I'd point out that the main government message from the Prime Minister on the stage three shift was where economic circumstances change, so should government policy. I could not think of a more clear and stark example of the dire severity and sort of shift in the wrong direction on economic circumstances than housing. And in fact, I would argue housing is the tip of the spear of uh, the cost of living crisis. And if they were to, the government was to come out this year and say, uh, we are in the middle of one of the worst housing crises we've faced in generations on the lower end, uh, you know, the average life expectancy as The Guardian's wonderful reporting showed uh, for a homeless person is 44 and a half. And on the, uh, like on the other end, we've got middle-class people on good wages, never being able to buy a home. Something needs to change. Let's make this shift, some sort of shift uh, in these big tax handouts. Well, good luck to the coalition arguing that they're going to wind all of these back. Good luck to them because right now then their platform would be um, screw over first home buyers trying to buy a home, which they claim to care about, uh, and their other state, only other stated policies winding back right to disconnect. And what, Peter Dutton's going to go to Queensland and say we're going to force cops uh, to respond to texts at one o'clock in the morning or skip their son's footy match? Uh, uh, so they can reply to some emails that could wait till Monday. I think that's a pretty weak platform for the coalition and would put Labor in a strong position. Uh, And the other problem they have is a question of um, uh, people's view of the political system. Now, I pointed this out, and and it's true that right now we have a situation where the Prime Minister himself has multiple investment properties. 75% of all Labor parliamentarians own investment properties. Uh, And right now, they are refusing to shift on billions of dollars in tax handouts for property investors, of which they are part of that cohort. Now, uh, that, I think, as people keep going to auctions and losing out to investors, keep struggling to pay the rent, uh, the parents keep wondering, what about their kid's future? What are they going to do? How are they going to buy a house? How are they going to cover student debt, convince the bank to give them a loan on house prices that keep increasing by 10% every year? I think eventually people are going to feel pretty alienated like by that. So I actually think it's politically necessary for the government to start treating the housing crisis seriously. Now, I, I will note that uh, some of your Greens colleagues also have investment properties. Uh, in August 2022, I wrote that um, you and many of your colleagues don't and you therefore uh, don't declare a mortgage and therefore you clearly rent, but your party mates, Nick McKim, Maureen Faruqi and Elizabeth Watson-Brown, at least at that time, uh, de- were among those that declared ownership of multiple properties. So just uh, not sure if you want to address that point, but just making that clear for, for listeners. Very happy to. I suppose the clear, stark difference is uh, 
Nick McKim, Elizabeth Watson-Brown, Maureen Faruqi would all come into parliament tomorrow if they could and vote to phase out the tax handouts for property inv- investors, including negative gearing and a capital gains tax discount. And look, the, the broader point is this. Our tax system has been designed to tell people that one of the ways to generate wealth was to buy investment properties. I don't necessarily begrudge people for doing that. I do begrudge, however, uh, a political class who uh, uh, hold a lot of investment properties and then refuse to do anything about them. You know, you even had Ken Henry come out recently and point out just how unfair it was uh, that property investors often have very favourable tax arrangements uh, while, you know, a nurse or a teacher might end up paying more tax than them. Uh, That's not right or fair. And I think um, it might be easy for the Prime Minister uh, to, you know, at one point earned $115,000 in rental income, more than a teacher or nurse earns in a year, to say, oh, well, we have to wait to make any changes or we might do it sometime in the future. Um, It's easy for him to say that, but it's pretty hard for for someone who is wondering about their future, wondering if they can afford the next rent increase, whether or not they'll find themselves on the street or have just come back from an auction feeling deeply demoralised after saving for years and then finding out, watching a property investor bid up the price by another $200,000, telling them to wait. Well, that's another thing. And I think this is part of the reason why people are increasingly getting pretty fed up with politics. You've mentioned the major concessions that the Greens won during the Housing Australia Future Fund negotiations, but you did eventually uh, pass the half Mm. bill. Uh, Greens were prepared to delay it a few times but not vote against it. You'll be in a very similar position this time on help to buy, won't you? Mm, Big time. Well, I've said last time you don't go into a negotiation without being prepared to vote a bill down and we're in the same situation on help to buy. Last year we were able to secure $3 billion of extra investment in public housing. Uh, And I would point out uh, that uh, if it weren't for the Greens having secured that, there wouldn't be any immediate investment going on right now in public housing because uh, the flaws we pointed out in the Government's Housing Australia Future Fund are making themselves apparent. It's a slow and complex scheme. And we always said, you're better off just investing money directly in public housing. And sure enough, all of the Government's announcements Uh, around uh, any public housing that's actually getting going at the moment, still not nearly enough, uh, as a result of the direct spending that the Greens secured. Now, we expect housing will be a very big election issue. Uh, The Coalition also have a signature housing policy, Mm. which they recommitted to in Peter Dutton's first budget reply, which is to allow uh, people to have access to a chunk of their super Mm. uh, to pay for a first home. What do you make of that policy? Again, it's perhaps not a surprise that the coalition want to propose a policy that will just further jack up house prices and drive up the price of housing. Again, all they're doing is flooding the housing market with more money. Um, And in the end, the first home buyers are the net losers. You know, it's sort of remarkable that, uh, and I think Greg Jericho, again, I keep quoting, uh, I do read, I suppose, a lot of The Guardian, uh, uh, pointed out, you do have this political class who say one thing but actually mean another. They keep saying, oh, well, we really care about housing affordability. But then they keep pursuing policies that just drive up house prices even more. And, and uh, you know, at some point, I think uh, the broader political establishment has to confront the fact uh, that that is not a sustainable pathway forward. We can't just keep having 10 20% increases in house prices. House prices increasing on average uh, double, more than double wages every year. Uh, that is, this, it's a slow boiling social crisis that right now is coming to a head. 
I, I accepted all uh, demand side policies, mm. giving people their super first home buyer grants, uh, you know, shared equity schemes mm. that mean that you need a smaller mortgage and a smaller deposit. Accept all of those things can push up price. But isn't that coalition policy another instance of um, giving the owner occupier, um, uh, the, the, the aspiring owner occupier, um, more firepower in in an arms race against landlords. Don't don't you have any sympathy for for young couples that that don't want to leave? They're super locked up. They want to they want to get in the housing market. Well, I suppose you're sort of bringing a water pistol to, to use your extend your analogy, uh, bringing a water pistol to a very large gunfight. Uh, because on the other hand, property investors still get will get over the next ten years half a trillion dollars uh, in tax handouts. Uh, the reality is that unless I hate to sound like a broken record, but in it, all of those policies, unless you deal with the fact that it's easier for a property investor to buy their tenth investment property than it is for a renter to buy their first, unless you change the tax system uh, that allows that to happen, then you're never going to fix the housing crisis. You're never. All of those policies are never going to address the issue that demoralised renters at auctions are going to get beaten out by property investors. Like the way it works at the moment. A, a property investor with his with ten investment properties can go to the bank and say, "Well, don't worry, I'm negatively gearing any losses I'm making on my rental properties." And oh yeah, and by the way, at the end of this, I'm going to sell it and make a fifty percent uh, tax free profit, uh, and uh, I can just borrow against the value of all my other houses. And uh, I've got all this extra money thanks to the government uh, to pay more for housing. Nah, unless you deal with that, nothing you're going to do on the other end is going to fix it. Uh, of course, the other the two other things the government could do are put coordinate limits on rent increases because if you're paying forty percent of your income on rent, it's difficult to save for a deposit, uh, and you could start building public housing at a scale that governments used to, where teachers and nurses used to live in public housing. And by the way, the three things the Greens are proposing are exactly the three things uh, that uh, uh, occurred post World War II in Australia, which was the only time where you saw big increases in home ownership rates. The Greens went to the last election uh, with a, a, a scheme where the government would would buy the house mm. and you, you, you'd pay um, a 10% deposit, you'd move in, and then um, instead of paying, well, you, you would you would increase your equity in the house, yes. um, basically. Is that up to a 75% ownership? So it is a similar shared equity scheme, a little different. Is, is that going to be policy uh, again? Yeah, so just quickly on that scheme, it's uh, close to radically different because in that scheme, the government built effectively public housing, good quality public homes, you know, in inner city areas, and then sold them for cheap. That's what that policy was. And then you could only uh, sell those homes back to the government because you'd have a situation where, say, you bought a home, government built home for cheap, uh, and then uh, you don't want to have a situation where then someone goes and sells it for a massive profit later on. What you're trying to do is get people in secure, affordable housing. The government scheme, on the other hand, is cash in the hands of people that then go into the private housing market and just bid up housing more uh, and, uh, as we talked about, drive up aggregate demand. So under the government scheme, they're not building a single new home. Under the green scheme, it was build housing and then rent it and sell it for cheap. Uh, And actually, that's sort of what public housing was post-World War II in Australia. You used to have a nurse live in a good public home. It used to be called Housing Commission. You used to have a teacher, a mechanic, a factory worker. Uh, you had the South Australian Housing Trust. We had just like suburbs of 
middle-income uh, workers uh, who had their housing costs reduced because the government was a big player in building housing. And th- think about it this way. Uh, imagine if we only had private schools and private schools could charge as much as they want. Imagine if we only had private hospitals and private hospitals could charge as much as they want. Uh, well, that's sort of what's happening in the housing market right now. The monopoly provider uh, are property developers, really, uh, and uh, the private market, it's largely unregulated, by the way. Uh, and on health and education, as a society, we've said those are essentials for life. So we need a public option to make sure that uh, people are protected. But we don't have it for housing. And this is a quirk of our history and some really bad decisions made by both major parties. Uh, but I suppose what the Greens are saying is that's not a sustainable pathway forward. And is that still policy? And if so, uh, you know, where are you going to build the one million homes that that, that you aspired to in that? Yeah, so that was uh, the proposal around that was to build one million homes over 20 years. Uh uh, and again, this is government-built homes. Uh, and uh, we'll be making some tweaks, as you do to all policies. Uh, that was what we took to the 2022 election. I still think broadly it was a good idea. But of course, as economic circumstances change, you need to change your policies to adapt to that, which we'll be doing in the lead up to the next election. Um, but the basic principle uh, that the gov- there should be a public option in housing and we should be, uh, the government should be doing what governments used to do in the in the 20th century. You know, for instance, at some points in Australian history, something like 30% of all housing construction was being built by the government, uh, which is pretty amazing. And in terms of where they'd go, well, uh, <laughs> despite what property developers say, there's actually a lot of land banking going on because the other on the other end of the market, this the idea that developers are just waiting to build as many housing as they can to bring down house prices and rents is a total fabrication. Uh, what they actually do is sit on land and will only build and sell it when it is profitable to do so. They control and drip feed the supply of housing to make sure that prices are as high as they can be. That's how they work. And the only way to deal with that is for the government to step and say, no, we're going to go and build some good medium density housing in the city next to public transport. We invest in public parks and schools next to it. You know, where say you have a Imagine a really well-designed five-storey tower with rooftop garden, childcare centre embedded in the bottom next to uh, some cheap accessible uh, train line or bus network uh, with a beautiful public park nearby. Uh, And that might sound utopian, but that's what a lot of European countries do. You know, I visited Vienna in 2019. That's 60% of that city, by the way, live in some form of social housing. It's well-planned. Uh, it's it's actually denser than um, all Australian cities, but you couldn't tell it because they plan it properly. They don't just cram some in some areas and then leave others to sprawl. Uh, and it's planned for people and not for developer profit. You mentioned the homelessness crisis earlier. Last question I just wanted to ask. Um, obviously, a lot of these uh, solutions about building more public housing are extremely long-term. Are there more short-term things that you think that the Albanese government should be doing for homelessness? Yeah, and I sh- can I just want to commend the reporting by the Guardian on this because I think it was like long overdue actually uh, on the homelessness crisis and the fact that they're dying at the age on average at the age of forty four. Yes, the first thing they can do is put a freeze on rent increases. We know that a lot of people are being evicted out of their private rentals into homelessness, uh, and uh, protecting people from uh, a vicious free market uh, in the rental market is. Uh, 
uh, an essential. And I was quite frustrated, to be honest, to listen to the comments from the housing minister about, oh, we're taking this so seriously. Well, to be frank, they're not because uh, they are not doing anything to coordinate any limit on the amount by which rents can increase. The other thing they can do uh, is... Uh, <laughs> substantially increase funding for homeless and services, which they still haven't done. Uh, in fact, they threatened to cut the last remaining bit of federal government funding for homeless and services last year. Then they decided to reverse that cut and then they claimed that was new funding. Uh, the other thing they can do is uh, start to buy existing vacant properties, uh, which the Actually, during COVID, we saw substantial drops in homelessness. It turns out the government can address this if they need to, uh, but it requires a little bit of money and a little bit of drive. And uh, do it at scale, uh, and then you actually... It's a combination of substantially increasing homelessness services funding, freezing rents for two years and capping them after that, uh, and starting to purchase vacant properties... uh, uh, and getting people into homes with and wrapping services around them, that combination you could do right now and it would have an enormous beneficial impact. That's all we have time for. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks very much. This episode was produced by Joe Koning. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. I'm Paul Karp. We'll have another episode of Australian Politics for you next Saturday. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food, and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.